Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today as we continue our study on the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai, and we have just had a blast, I have anyway, sharing this, researching it, and uh, it has so added to me, and I trust it's been a blessing to you. And if you're tuning in for the first time, you're probably going to be a little bit lost because we've been studying the 12 gates of Nehemiah, but I think if you'd like to follow our ministry and go back and review some of the things that we've shared, you can certainly do that, and the easiest way to do it is to go to my YouTube channel or to my podcast or the RSS feed for the audio. But everything that we air on this program, we always archive it on our YouTube channel so that you can go back and watch it on demand, stop it, pause it, listen to it, study it. There are places right now that are using this in their networks, of churches to study as part of their some of their curriculum for leaders, and so we are, we're doing this in a teaching setting. One of the things that I enjoy a great deal about television is that I'm not in a setting where I only have three or four services to preach, and then I've got to get everything I can out in those three or four services when I'm traveling. When we're in the TV studio, we can film week after week after week and continue to unpack some things that I don't normally get a chance to. So. Uh, it's there for your 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 uh, viewing pleasure to study them, to use them in your midweek Bible studies, whatever you'd like to do. I think it would be a blessing to you. I would ask you, though, if you're feeding from our ministry, to consider partnering with us and sowing something back into the ministry to help us to do that, as uh, it seems like we have put so much material out on the internet for free that we are losing a lot of our support because we are putting it out there for free. And so we are trusting the Holy Spirit to prompt you uh, that are feeding from our ministry and using uh, a lot of these materials to sow back into it so that we can continue to do that. Why don't you do that today? We appreciate it. The easy way to do it is just go to my website, and there's a place there on my website where you can give. I'm not going to talk a lot about that because I want to get back in the Word today. We started last week talking about the East Gate. We have talked about several of the gates now, but we are clear up to the East Gate. We only have about three more yet to cover, and it seems like it's taking us about four programs to cover each one of these. But to give you the text from where we're studying this from, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 29 says, After them repaired Zadok, the son of Emmer, over against his house, and after him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the East Gate. So they, they repaired against and over the keeper of the east gate. Now, um, one of the things that I saw that another place in the Scriptures where the east gate is mentioned is in Ezekiel, the 10th chapter, verse number 18 through 22. It says, Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in the sight, and when they went out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord God of Israel was over them above. And this is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Kibar, and I knew that they were the cherubim. Everyone had four faces apiece, everyone four wings, and the likeness of the hands of man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same faces. 
which I saw, they were the same faces which I saw by the river of Kibar, and their appearance and themselves, they went every one straight forward. Now, I showed you last week how he said these were the same ones that he saw by the river Kibar in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. And we're going to compare the book of Ezekiel a little bit today. And what Ezekiel saw by the river of Kibar, which was one of the tributaries of the rivers of Babylon. Remember when the children of Israel were led captive into Babylon, and they are now returning up out of Babylon uh, for restoration and reformation. They are leaving Babylon, and they are coming back to restoration. In the book of Revelation, the moment the great harlot is judged, and Babylon is fallen, is immediately, the Scripture says, Hallelujah, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God. And it goes on to talk about, the bride, and the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And so with the transition of the uh, harlot city, there is the birthing of the bride city. It's a tale of two things all through the book of Revelation. There's a beast and a lamb. There is a harlot and a bride. Uh, there is, uh, uh, you know, comparatives all the way through the book of Revelation. And when you see these dual comparisons, one, what, what you have to understand is, is that it is showing you something of a divide between, if you will, uh, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So with the removing of Old Covenant Babylon, there comes the birthing of the New Covenant Babylon. And I showed you, I, I, I feel like I've repeated so much, but I feel like I need to almost every time. But th that Babylon in the book of Revelation, the one key component is that he says, in her was found the blood of all the martyrs of the saints. In other words, he said that upon that city would come the blood of all the martyrs that were crying, how long till thou dost avenge us in Revelation chapter 10, I believe it is. But see, Jesus identifies what city that is in Matthew 23, when he wept over Jerusalem and said to them, you who killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent to you, that upon this generation, and he's talking to Jerusalem, and that first century generation will come the blood of all the martyrs that were slain on the earth. And so you see that powerful comparison. So the harlot of Revelation, the great Babylon, is apostate Old Covenant Israel who refuses to step into the New Covenant. Now, I believe that when, when I, as I'm making this comparison to a roadmap to Reformation, that somebody is going to come out of her, my people, and they're not going to identify with an Old Covenant, but they're going to realize that uh, that, that, that harlot city is named by the prophets. He calls her an adulterer. He calls her a harlot. Uh, calls the whoredoms that she does with the other nations and with other false gods. And God finally is now allowing apostate Israel uh, or that Jerusalem that was uh, the city that Jesus walked around in. He's saying to them, listen, upon this generation is going to come all of the blood of the, and Luke's gospel in the Olivet Discourse, he says all of these things, are, are, he said, these be the days of vengeance, 
that all things that were spoken might be fulfilled. So for apostate Israel and apostate Jerusalem, it was about to be the demise of that city, but with the fall of Jerusalem came the birthing of new Jerusalem. With the destruction of the old temple came the building of the temple of God that we are that's made from lively stones that are fitly framed together. It's a powerful parallel. Now Ezekiel's talking about being by the rivers of Kibar, and he sees visions of God. And in Ezekiel chapter number one, let's make these comparisons because I don't know how far we'll get on this east gate in these uh, segments, but uh, in, in Ezekiel chapter one, it says, for as for the likeness of their faces, they four had the faces of a man, the face of a lion. And on the right side, they had four had the face of an ox. And on the left side, they four had also had the face of an eagle. Thus were the faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another and two covered their bodies. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says, Above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and had the brightness round about, and the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. I want you to notice that. The bow as in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. Round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, if you see, that's Ezekiel chapter number 1. Now, if you would just compare that with Revelation chapter 4, it is a striking resemblance. It's the exact same replica. Let me read it. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. We talked about that door in the last segment. It's the door into the new covenant. It's the door into the kingdom. It is Jesus, the door that gives us access into the new covenant. After this, behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, said, Come up hither, and I'll show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. That, again, is a striking resemblance of Ezekiel chapter 1. All of the symbolism that you see here in the fourth chapter of Revelation is symbols, again, of the new covenant. I, I, I challenge you to go back if you, can, if you can and listen to what I taught last week because he says to the church at Laodicea, I'm standing at the door and I am knocking. And if any man will hear my voice and open to me, I will come in and sup with him. And I talked about last week how supping with him was the covenant meal. It was the meal that inaugurated the new covenant when Jesus said, this cup, this bread is my body which is broken for you, and this cup is my blood of the new covenant. That inaugurated the new covenant. That when he says, I will sup with you, he's inviting you into the new covenant meal. And when he says, I would that you were cold or hot, He's saying, I want you to either be new covenant or old covenant, but if you're a mixture, it makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. But if you overcome, you can sit with me in my throne. And then immediately he shows you this replica of Ezekiel chapter 1. As he's telling them, there's a rainbow around the throne, 
in sight like unto an emerald, and there's a throne. So if you, if you stay in the context of what's already being spoken, he's inviting them in chapter 3, the church of Laodicea, to the covenant meal to sup with him and to sit with him in his throne. He said, Behold, I set before you. In other words, he says, to, I, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open to me, I will come in and sup with him. To him that overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me in my throne, even as I'm overcome and sit down with my father in his throne. After this, I saw a door open. Same door as two verses above that. And then he not only sees a door open, but he sees a throne. Same throne he's inviting you to rule and reign with him in. And then he starts giving you this multi, um, uh, if you will, symbolic picture of the kingdom with a rainbow around about this throne. And this rainbow signifies the new covenant. Do you remember Noah? God puts a bow in the cloud and says, listen, this is the symbol or the token of the covenant. So when I see the covenant, and then you see this four-faced living creature, the exact same one that you see in the book of Ezekiel being described here as the face of a man, the lion, the eagle, and the ox. I think something could be said to the fact that each one of these, the, the lion symbolized the lion of the tribe of Judah. The eagle symbolized the tribe of Dan. The uh, ox symbolized the tribe of Ephraim. And uh, let's see, the man was the tribe of Reuben. But they were the, what, if you look at the camp, when the camp of Israel was at rest, there was a banner or a symbol over every one of these tribes. And they were always faced inward. They were, in other words, they were, their, their focus was not outward. Their focus was inward. Their focus was on the tabernacle of God, and the most holy place. So uh, they were the four innermost tribes of the children of Israel. I think something could also be said as to the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John symbolize Jesus as being the Son of Man. He's the beast of burden in Ephraim, or if you will, the ox. He's the beast of burden. He's the one who carries our burdens. Uh, he is the judge that you see in the eagle. Uh, he is the face of a man. Uh, you know, he is the lion out of the tribe of Judah. All of them depict something of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, their focus is still on the central point, and that's the kingdom of God, that's the throne of God, that's the new covenant people of God. Now, as you go on down through here, as you go into Ezekiel chapter 2, he goes on, let me read this to you from Ezekiel chapter 2. And it says, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to the rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are imputed children and stiff-hearted, I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt send to them, thus saith the Lord. And he gives them a prophecy. But he goes on down, and he says in verse number 8 of Ezekiel chapter 2, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth, and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Now, I want you to see something here. This is powerful to me. 
In Revelation 4, you see again the exact same replica. There is a little book that is written within and without, and it's sealed with seven seals. Now, we're going to make a comparison here in a moment, but in Ezekiel, inside of this book is written lamentations, mourning, and woe. In Ezekiel 3, he, he repeats it again. It in, in Ezekiel 3, verse 1 through 4, he says this, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and to fill thy bowels with this roll that I will give thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak my words unto them. Now, I want you to see something. Again, look at this powerful comparison, again, with the book of Revelation. There's a little book that's written within and without. It's sealed. And in the book of Ezekiel, there's a little book that's written within and without. In Ezekiel chapter 3, he tells him, eat this little book. It will be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your belly. And in Revelation chapter 10, he says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. That speaks to me of a new covenant mentality. Not a nice hat, but a new covenant mentality. And his face was it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right hand on the uh, right, right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lift up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things that therein are, that there should be time no longer. A better translation of that would be that there should be no more intervention of time, that there should be more wait, no more waiting or delay. This is not the end of time. It's the end of waiting or delay for this little book to be open. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared unto his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It shall be make thy belly bitter, but it shall be sweet in thy mouth, sweet as honey. It uses the exact same verbiage and wording as Ezekiel. I hope you can see the striking comparisons here, because I'm going to make a powerful point here in a moment. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many nations and tongues. Now let me show you this again. Remember, in Ezekiel... In this book is lamentations, mourning, and woe, and it's written to the rebellious house of Israel. Now let me show you this same little book open in Revelation 5. Revelation 5 said, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the thr throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Exact same imagery as being drawn from Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice 
Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look upon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither look on thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion out of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Here's what I want you to sing. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Here's the powerful point I want to make to you about this eastern gate. In the book of Ezekiel, this four-faced living creature and this setting of the throne and this little book that's sealed is literally in this little book in Ezekiel is lamentation, mourning, and woe. But what really caught my attention is when he opens the book in Revelation 4 and 5, he looks at this very same book that was full of lamentation, mourning, and woe. And when the lamb who was slain opens the book, a slain lamb is the key. The slain lamb opens this little book, and they sing a new song. In other words, they're not singing to the redeemed, lamentation, mourning, and woe. They're singing a new song, singing, Thou hast redeemed us to God. In other words, for believers, the book of Revelation is about what God has redeemed us from. Hallelujah. He's redeemed us from lamentation, mourning, and woe in the new... In other words, let, let me say it like this. For a believer, when you read the book of Revelation, you need to read the book of Revelation not as something that's coming to you, but something that you've been redeemed from. But for the apostate Israel of the first century that this book was written to first century, Seven churches that were really in Asia making the transition from an old covenant to a new covenant. And he's saying to them, listen, he has redeemed us. But if you refuse to put the blood on the doorpost of your house, just like if you would have refused to put blood on the doorpost of your house in Egypt and not make this exodus that I talked about in the last segment, where I talked about an exodus motif and an exodus paradigm all the way through the scriptures, is if you don't put the blood on the doorpost, first century Apostate Israel rejected their Messiah. They rejected their redemption. Their redemption was drawing nigh. And for believers, and you see this later as you get into the book of Revelation, those who understood the words of Jesus when He said to them, When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, let him that's in Judea flee into the mountains. He's not talking to you. He was talking to first century Jews who were in Judea during the siege of the Roman Empire 
when they were about to move from, uh, they, when, when they were about to, the city was about to be destroyed and the temple was about to be destroyed, that for those people who heard the words of Jesus, you find them in the 12th chapter of Revelation, being carried into the wilderness, they fled Jerusalem to a town called Pella, where not hardly a believer was slain, where they were kept under the wings of a great eagle for 42 months, times, times and a half, times three and a half years until the abomination of to the abominations and the desolation of that city came to pass, and with the destruction of old Jerusalem, God gave birth to new Jerusalem, and with the destruction of the old temple, God gave birth to the new temple. It was the fulfillment, if you will, of the Feast of Tabernacles, where God had brought them a full circle and now was bringing us into a promised land, this time not a physical place, but the promised land of Hebrews 4, which was rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles only once they entered into the promised land 40 years after they had left Egypt. I don't think it's an accident when Jesus was crucified. He gave the prophecy in 30 AD. He said, this generation will not pass until all of these things come to pass of the Olivet Discourse of wars and rumors of wars and Jerusalem being encompassed with armies. He set the time text and said, a generation, which is 40 years, would transpire. He tells them in Matthew 23, upon this generation will come the blood of all the martyrs, the apostate city of Jerusalem that he connected with Revelation chapter 17 when he says that great harlot in her was found the blood of all the martyrs. And for them it was mourning, lamentation, and woe. But for those who would receive their Messiah and apply the blood of the Lamb, another book was being opened, the new covenant, the rainbow round about the throne, and a new song was being sung saying, Thou hast redeemed us to God. It's time for us to take our harps down off of the weeping willow tree because we are no longer by the rivers of Babylon where we wept when we remembered Zion because Zion is a symbol of the new covenant and you and I are in the new covenant and it's time to take our harps down off of the weeping willow tree and not sing the song of mourning, lamentation, and woe, but sing the song of the redeemed. You see, we are beyond the old covenant. And we are not under the old covenant at all. There's not a repeat of what you see in the book of Revelation coming because he tells them in the latter part of Revelation, these are the last plagues. And it is this in them is filled up the wrath of God. And we know that because the scripture tells us that the law worketh wrath, if we're not under law, we're not under wrath any longer. All of that stuff was fulfilled in the first century. It is time for us to arise and build, enter into the eastern gate, and dwell under the wings of the cherubim where the glory of the Lord will issue out from underneath of the threshold of the house of God and a river will run out of it that will flow to the nations of the earth. That's the eastern gate. It's an invitation into the most holy place where we can stand in His presence and rejoice in the glory and sing a new song singing, Thou hast redeemed us. When He said, lift up your heads, your redemption is drawing nigh, that's not something way out in the distant future. It's something that was realized in the first century and that you and I can continue to walk in today. We're about out of time. I trust you've been blessed by this on the eastern gate. Tune in again next week. If you'd like to sow a seat into this ministry, we do need your help to be able to stay on the air. Go to my website. It's the easiest place to do that. You can give via PayPal, 
through you use your credit card, debit card through that system. Also, you can call the number on the screen or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen in just a moment. But do it today. God bless you. We need your help. Thank you for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.